Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, our first our podcast with our prof, Travis Johnston, from Miller, and you've probably heard us talk about his coffee, so, you know, he also sponsors us, so there's that. And Gotta have the sponsor on the podcast at least once, Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, Glad to do it. If this is your first time listening, I'm Pam. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Aaron, who's only awkwardly smirking a little bit this time. And Travis. So, how's it going, Travis? It's going well. Yeah? Yeah. Saturday morning, got a cup of coffee. What else yeah. could be better? Speaking of coffee, you you roasted this coffee as well as made it this morning. So mm-hmm. tell us a bit about what we're drinking. So this is uh, a fall blend that I've been working on for a little bit. Mm. And so you probably note some, uh, <clears throat> some Sumatran kind of uh, stuff in there mm-hmm. with like some... Uh, grapefruit and black cherry, but also some, um, some, uh, uh, Columbia as well mm-hmm. with some dark, dark chocolate and some nuts. Yep. And then, oh, yeah. uh, there's also a little bit of Rwanda in there as well. I, love I was wondering how it so, was like, it's acidic, but also chocolatey and yeah. it feels like I'm tasting fall. Like yeah. it's warm. Yeah. Like, I mean, coffee's hot, but like it's the warm flavors. Yeah. It's yeah. Really not a warm flavor. oh, so, this is good. So I, I was thinking, this is kind of like a cup of coffee for an occasion where you've just taken your dog out for a long mm-hmm. walk. Not that uh-huh. anybody's ever done that, but uh, you come back in from like the the frosty morning, mm-hmm. and yes. then you want a cup oh, of this coffee. is yes. the perfect cup of coffee for that. So I, it's very bold. I like this it. This would be good, like outside, mm-hmm. an outdoor cup. Yeah, where, like we drink a lot of coffee. Outside, especially yes. like during COVID, my dad still wanted to talk to people. So in minus twenty, he would make a pot of coffee and start a fire. Yeah. And I wasn't saying minus, blankets. but like in fall, I love sitting outside. Actually, I love sitting outside pretty oh, much me all too. times of year. But sitting outside with like a nice blanket wrapped around you, mm-hmm. like maybe that's when you do morning devos kind of yeah. thing, like early morning. I'm not much of a morning person, but this cup of coffee would make me more. Of a <laughs> nice. I'm enjoying this. Good. If I, I was hoping that you girls would have some uh, feedback in terms mm-hmm. of like, mm. you know, I, I've got those three major things in terms of the the uh, fruitiness of mm-hmm. the Sumatran and then the dark chocolate and nuts of the Columbia and then mm. the uh, uh, like the milk chocolate and floral yeah, kind of stuff mm-hmm. of the Rwanda. Like, is there anything that I could do better? I guess is my question. It's a very bold flavor. Like I can mm-hmm. feel it in like it. Fills every part of my mouth. Like, it's very bold. Um, Which I like. I like it. Um, it all, I would make an espresso out of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a dark, like a dark enough flavor and yeah. a bold enough flavor that I think it'd make a great latte. I'm going to mm-hmm. be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like a lot softer flavor for my morning coffee just because... It's I'm, the morning. It's the morning. Yeah. But this is like a good third cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is sad Which, that we can measure it in a good <laughs> cup of coffee. Like, oh, this not is not first. That means we're really third. living life here. Okay. <laughs> That's what True. that means. We're, we're peaking. Oh, my uh, goodness. I'm enjoying it. I, I mean, it might be my personal, but I love the chocolatey tones and mm-hmm. nutty tones. That's yeah. like my preferred yeah. flavors for coffee. So more of that would be nice. Mm-hmm. But that's my bias for sure. This is a very yeah. good cup. That's and, typically yeah, where I gravitate. Too as well as more, yeah. but I'm I normally stay away from the citrus, and I don't mind this. Like it's because it's got the chocolate. Yeah, and it balances like, it a lot. It's very yeah. nice. Because other nice. normally I I find the acidic a little too harsh for myself, so I avoid it. But like with the chocolate and with the floral ton- tones of the Rwanda, mm. this is a lot more pleasant. So mm-hmm. nice. 
Mm-hmm. Good reviews from us. Cool. All right. Well, now that we're done being pretentious about coffee. I've never been pretentious a day in my life. <laughs> uh-huh. Never. Whatever um, you say. Okay. Dripping so. with sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit, but it's fine. Okay. So, Travis and Aaron and myself have been talking about him coming on this podcast for a very long time. We've been wanting this since, like, day one. Yeah. We were like, how do we convince Travis to come on our podcast? We're imagining all the guests we could have. <laughs> and it's top of the list. Travis Johnston. Oh, so, <laughs> That's a pretty bad list. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're just trying to get better marks. You never know. Um, have all the props, though. But you know. Last year, you wrote your thesis for your master's degree? Or was uh, it, it was actually 2019. So okay. two years ago. But mm-hmm. it was kind of like a... Nine-year process. (laughs) I'm not that committed to anything in my life. So we're going to put nine years of study and research into a one-hour podcast. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) It'll be fine. Uh, This is the Cliff's Notes version, the For Dummies version, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited about it. So tell us about what you wrote your thesis on, just like Mm -hmm. a quick overview. So um, when I... uh, Well, I need a little back it up just a tiny bit if that's all right. So... So you two ladies did youth and were in youth mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, right? And so did you ever have, uh, you know, where it was the opportunity of the, the students to pick what you're going to study next? Yeah. And then there was like, uh, you know, here's here's a, here's a great option. Maybe we should study the Song of Songs. And it's just like, you know, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, right. Like that's not going to ever happen. And I remember like being grade 10 uh well, maybe it was grade nine. I can't remember. And that happened. And I was just like, well, it's in the Bible. Like, shouldn't it mm-hmm. be something appropriate that we study kind What's of a thing? Wrong and, with it? and I read it over and I'm like, you know, like, it's a little bit racy, but, you know, I think that there's, there's stuff in there that we should maybe mm-hmm. investigate a little yeah. more. And so, you know, um, <clears throat> when I came here to teach at Miller, uh, six and a half years ago now, um, one of the first classes I got was Old Testament poetry and in Hebrew. And so, uh, one of the things that, uh, <clears throat> that we studied was, you know, spent a, a good time translating through the Song of Songs. Okay. And it was interesting cause like I, I grabbed, you know, half dozen commentaries from the library. Uh, some of them, you know, a little bit more, uh, pastoral in nature and, and for every, every person and some other, other ones that were you know, the, the ones that the, the super nerds read kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And, you know, I, I grabbed those six and there was like 47 different meanings to the, to the song. And I'm just like, well, what in the world is going on here? Because all of these be, can't be right. Mm. And so all of a sudden it became this, uh, this pursuit of, uh, okay, what's an appropriate interpretation mm-hmm. of the Song of Songs? Uh, because, uh, you know, not all of those could be right. Also, like, you've got, you know, not just kind of the more literal stuff that we quite often talk about present day, but you've got, like, the early church and the Jews, what were their interpretations of it? And, you know, it was highly allegorical, especially in the early church. And so, you know, is that appropriate? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or is that something that, you know, maybe the song isn't going towards whatsoever? So it kind of just, you know, morphed into that. And Mm -hmm. so I wrote a history of uh of interpretation of the song of songs because effectively you've got this uh this early church uh <clears throat> kind of period like around two three hundred mm-hmm. as the earliest um 
uh, earliest interpretations that we still have available to us. Mm -hmm. And it was highly allegorical, but now we've shifted mm -hmm. very much towards a, a very literal interpretation of the song. So much so that some of them would say that there's not even like a, a higher meaning in terms of how does this give us a picture of God and his people. Mm, okay. And so, uh, <clears throat> so I kind of talked about that shift and then some, uh, some observations that I got through, through the study and then some questions for other people to, mm -hmm. to go study. Uh, if I don't ever answer them myself. So, <laughs> yeah. So that would be uh, the broad scope. All right. So I guess you answered my next question of why you chose this book. Because I can't really think of a time I've ever been just like, man, know what I need to read right now? <laughs> Song Solomon. Yeah. I think I read it in high school one time. Because someone told me to uh, as a joke. Which is funny that you say, like, you know, the youth atmosphere of, oh, you should teach this. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I never was taught to take it seriously no right. it was just or like it's something you read when you're older like when you're in grade 10 there's no reason for you to read song of solomon well they talk about it in the way you talk about it something oh well we'll never understand that it's like yeah what really is on pluto <laughs> well, we'll never understand that yeah so it's like that's usually I, it's kind of the, the light-hearted mm -hmm. approach yeah. i guess yeah, and we read your thesis a couple nights ago, and I think I was just taking... We tried to. Well, we tried to. Oh, it was very <laughs> much over our heads. I need yeah. 10 more years of education yes. before all of Well, I, like, my oh master's my. is a master of arts and biblical languages and exegesis. Yep. So there's a whole world there that you two are not familiar with, nope. and most people aren't familiar with. And I'm going to be honest, so. I don't really desire to I don't be familiar really. with. <laughs> I'm really thankful for you and people like you in the world. And I'm all coming for my three years. <laughs> That's probably about as far as it's going, okay? <laughs> but we oh, were taken aback by just the... <gasps> A controversy almost mm. around oh it. Word. Like, yeah. I just sat there like I never took Song of Solomon seriously, and people were getting like kicked out of councils and mm -hmm. unordained almost like yeah. over Song of Solomon. Yeah. yeah, why is it so controversial? <laughs> yeah, so uh, <clears throat> kind of need to to go back to the early church here, and so um, we got. Perfect. We've got some, some different ways of understanding the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, we're used to a, a more historical and grammatical approach mm -hmm. to the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And so we look at the context, we look at the history around there, and we look at what the words are actually saying to us in yeah. the actual context of the passage, right? Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> with the early church, um, there was uh, more of a favoritism towards uh, an allegorical approach, right? And so, uh, what, what that is, is, um, basically they, they would say, okay, here is the, the greater understanding of scripture. And this was called an economy of scripture. So, mm -hmm. uh, so here's what the Bible teaches as a whole. And so some of them, you know, were, were right on track and probably I would argue they knew our Bibles better than we do mm -hmm. today. Right. Mm -hmm. However, there were also other influences. So, um, some of them had, uh, basically they viewed anything to do with the flesh as carnal, as, yeah. you know, something evil. Uh, and so like there is this dualism idea that the flesh is bad and the soul is good. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you've got guys like Origen that take that greater understanding of scripture mm -hmm. and then they take the song and they say, well, there is a, a literal meaning to it. That's quite obvious. And so, you know, he would say that, you know, there is this, uh, uh, this marriage story that's, that's going throughout here. Uh, and 
and it is, you know, this, this picture of human love, but that can't be the true meaning of it. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they, they take this greater economy of scripture, the greater understanding of what scripture says. And, uh, like some, some, uh, interpreters would supplement, like add to the Mm -hmm. meaning, but, uh, quite a few of them completely mapped over. Okay. And so they would take a particular word and, uh, and then they would, uh, say, well, this, this word sounds like, you know, this story or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so even though there's really no connection between the story and what's going on in the song, they they would say that that's the greater meaning. Okay. Mm. And so they want to teach the greater economy, the greater Mm -hmm. message of scripture rather than what the song would actually teach. So let me illustrate this because this was a little bit heady, mm-hmm. I know. So it's kind of like, uh, do you, either of you two fly kites? I have, yeah. Okay. So you got the, the person on the ground, Pam, right? Mm-hmm. And she's, uh, you know, flying a kite. And there's the kite up in the sky. But how does a kite work? String. The string is necessary <laughs> to actually keep it, right? Yeah. So you've got the force of the wind uh, acting with, uh, acting against the string. And it actually creates lift on it, mm-hmm. right? And so with, uh, with uh, uh, some allegories, you, you can see the connection between the person on the ground, mm-hmm. the literal meaning, mm-hmm. and the, the higher meaning, the allegorical yeah. meaning yeah. Up, up in the sky. But for others, it's really difficult to know if there's a string there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And for others, it's not even important to have a string whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You can go to a bunch of early church commentators and... Uh, you know, if you've got 10 of them in a room, there might be a hundred different allegorical interpretations and mm-hmm. all of them are right. It's just a matter of how creative you want to be mm-hmm. with it. And so there's, there's a, there's a difference there in, in terms of, uh, interpretation. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. And we were saying like, like illustrative allegory, like what we talk about most of the time yeah. would be very obvious string of like, <laughs> it's basically yeah. like a tow rope. Like it's huge. Like C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis is very intentionally. Yeah. Drawing that picture, yeah. But here it's a little, lot more obscure, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we see, you know, Lewis definitely have those those connections where it's just like, yeah, I can obviously mm-hmm. see these different things. But Lewis takes some creative liberties yeah. and stuff like that mm-hmm. too, which is, you know, he's not writing mm-hmm. something scripture, you know, <laughs> yeah. but he's writing a, a novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so too, do we also see that there is allegory in scripture, mm-hmm. right? We see, you know, far more of, of this illustrative allegory rather than an interpretive allegory. <laughs> and so, so in terms of this, you know, we see especially like with, uh, with Galatians, uh, you know, Paul talks about uh, the two wives of Solomon, yeah. right? And he flips things on its head as compared to what it was in Genesis and mm-hmm. gives a greater meaning mm-hmm. in, in light of what's going on with the Gentiles there. We also see you know, him use other, other imagery as well. So like Ezekiel chapter 16, which is both the, probably the most grotesque chapter of the Bible, but mm-hmm. also I would argue the most beautiful chapter mm-hmm. of the Bible, where you've got this picture of God delivering this, this baby out of the gutter and raising her up. And, and ultimately there's this picture of marriage between them. And it's this picture of God marrying uh, Israel. And mm-hmm. there's this covenant between them. And so we've got, you know, Different places in the scripture where quite clearly we're dealing with an illustrative allegory or analog or typology mm-hmm. or whatever. That it's just like, obviously we're supposed to see the connection here. Yeah. So. Um, so does it, 
Is there any place for allegorical interpretation within scripture, would you say? Or is that kind of something that belongs outside of scripture with things like C.S. Lewis, where we're pointing back to scripture? Like allegorical interpretation, like mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of like, should we search for a higher Mm -hmm. meaning? Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that we need to to go where scripture goes, if at Mm -hmm. all possible, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've got, you know, the the writers uh, of the New Testament that, you know, pick up different things from the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and bring it into the Mm -hmm. New. So we've got, uh, you know, like uh, the author of Hebrews writes about, you know, this obscure guy called Melchizedek who Abraham meets or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know, we can obviously see that there is this greater connection, that this is somebody that looks a lot like Jesus, mm-hmm. and that he's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king, right? And, and he does all those different things, and, and that's ultimately who the Bible is pointing towards. Mm-hmm. But we ultimately see all the way through the scriptures, like even Psalm 110, says that, you know, that this Davidic king will be a, in the, a priest in the order of Melchizedek mm-hmm. as well. And so it's like, you know, there's... There's directions that the scriptures were going anyways. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> the the biggest question is, what happens when the New Testament authors don't quote something from a particular book to tell you how to interpret it? Well, then you're not allowed to see any connections. <laughs> you're not inspired, right? That's how that's supposed to work. <laughs> Only New Testament authors were allowed to connect the Old Testament to right. Jesus. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> that hurt me so much. I hope everyone knows that was very sarcastic. Oh. So so the, the problem we have with the Song of Songs is it's not quoted. Okay. Not once in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's not directly alluded to. There's a few maybe possible ones like, you know, I stand at the door and knock, mm. right? Uh in uh in terms of what Jesus is is saying there in in Revelation. And it's just like, well, maybe, but yeah. also like, you know, in terms of the song, we've got, you know, the, the lover or sorry, the beloved knocking on the, on the door of, of the lover and hoping that she'll wake up kind of a thing. It's just like, well, you know, there's obviously the same image there, but is it directly connected? I guess is the question, right? It's, it could be, it mm-hmm. might not be right. Right. And so <clears throat> the, the question is like, does the song demand a higher meaning? You know, mm-hmm. can we take the literal one? Absolutely. And we should, right? You know, there is this beautiful story, uh, well, poem, love poem, between a beloved and, uh, and, the, and the lover that, uh, you know, describes this beautiful picture of what love is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there's a covenantal picture in there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that these two are both anticipating and enjoying the realization mm-hmm. of marriage mm-hmm. and all of the benefits that come with it. You know, and, and we see that the Bible actually uses the theme of marriage as a great theme of salvation all yeah. the way through, right? Mm-hmm. Hosea, you know, the, uh, the whole picture of the Mosaic Covenant where Moses uh, <clears throat> is uh, receiving the Ten Commandments and, and there's this kind of marriage scene mm-hmm. in Exodus mm-hmm. chapter 19 through 25 between God and his people. And the fact that Israel breaks that and, you know, again and again throughout the prophets, it's like, you know, you broke my marriage covenant, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. Ezekiel, mm-hmm. Hosea, you know, <clears throat> even in terms of the wedding supper of the lamb and revelation as well. Yeah. It's just like, mm, you know, why is marriage such a big deal? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the Psalm points us in that direction that it's just like, you know, here is uh, a picture of, you know, 
fidelity, yeah. of exclusivity, right? Mm-hmm. And and the, you know the the humans uh, poem here, you know, drives us towards a a question of well, what does this look like in terms of God and His people as well, mm. right? So, what would you say? Like, I guess you kind of touched on it, but. Would you say that's kind of the intended message of the book is to illustrate the relationship between God and his people? Or how would you take that? That's such a loaded <laughs> question. Is, Don't you love yeah. it? Well, the, the issue is... 2,000 years of controversy yeah, for yeah. I know, Travis. Oh, I'm, I'm asking you to solve all 2,000 yes. years of it right well, Basically, what's your opinion? I, I, hope, I hope your bar is low here. <laughs> sure. So um, <laughs> you've got different points of view on this. And... Let me kind of illustrate this with, with, uh, with a few of the different people that I studied. Oh yes. Okay, so uh, in terms of uh, early on, we t- we talked about origin, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got this this picture of well, the literal poetry or poem or mm-hmm. well, he calls it a story, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, really has a, a very simple meaning. But he also would point towards that greater economy, greater understanding of what the whole scripture is. And he moves towards this really dualistic approach that the flesh is bad and the soul is mm-hmm. good. And so, you know, you, you definitely have a, a higher meaning there. But, you know, as you go throughout, you've got these, these other ones. So like Thomas Percy would say, well, you can have, uh, you know, an allegorical meaning mm-hmm. But there needs to be that kite string. There needs to be that connection. And if you don't understand the literal meaning, there's no way that you can make sure that the higher meaning is right. Mm-hmm. Okay? Then you've got guys like uh, uh, Christian D. Ginsburg in the 1850s, who he would say, well, it, there is really no higher meaning at all. Mm-hmm. And he would argue that there's not just two characters, but three. So it's, it's not just Solomon and the Shulamite, but rather... It's, uh, you know, uh, a shepherd, a shepherdess, uh, or a vine dresser. And then you've got, uh, and you've got Solomon as this like creepy interloper, mm-hmm. this creepy guy who's trying to steal the, the shepherdess or the vine dresser away from the shepherd. And he, and it's really, you know, he, he gives a, an overarching narrative of, you know, all these different intricacies that, you know, aren't necessarily there in the scripture like in in the text, because you know when we when you actually go and read the song, all of it is actually the words of the different people mm-hmm. throughout it. There is no narrator telling you a story. Mm-hmm. It, it is a love poem, mm-hmm. okay. And so you've got Solomon looking like Solomon does in First Kings chapter uh, eleven, especially this guy that has no idea what love is, and yet he's somehow the wisest man on the world mm-hmm. in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> then you got um, somebody who fights back against that three-character narrative, uh, a guy named uh, Franz Dielich. And this is, you know, Dielich, uh, Kylan Dielich's commentary is probably one of the most widely read commentaries, both in German scholarship and English scholarship. But basically he would say that, no, it's just two characters. It's Solomon and the Shulamite. And it's, you know, some one of these wives that he had and ultimately, Solomon is convinced that, uh, that she is in some way, uh, you know, the most noble woman that there is. And that, you know, she effectively wins him over from polygamy to mm-hmm. monogamy. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. Solomon in the story plays this, 
this character who is both a picture of Jesus, but also, moreover, somebody who is the, the complete opposite of who Jesus is. And so there's this demand for a better Solomon mm -hmm. in Jesus that's, mm -hmm. that 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 uh, Delich would point towards. And then, kind of present day, uh, we've got uh, uh, Exum, uh, J. Cheryl Exum, uh, who who would argue that it, you you really only have two characters here, uh, and and then basically they're just kind of taking off and putting on different masks. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so you've got you know the king. And the princess or the queen, you've got the shepherd and the vine dresser, you've got Solomon and the Shulamite, and, you know, the male and the female characters are all the same, mm. okay? Uh, and, and so that's kind of where most people would land today if, if you're, like, a highfalutin scholar kind of a thing. Um, <clears throat> but, like, these last three, like, aside from Delitch's, you know, doesn't really have a higher meaning, mm -hmm. right? And, and so... The big question is like, you know, how do we really wrestle with all of these different points of view, yeah. right? Like there's three completely different points of view mm -hmm. of how to understand the literal story. Hmm. And so an important thing for us as we read the Bible is uh, answering the, the big question, what is the, the author's main thrust, Yeah. right? And so we see, you know, throughout the song that there is these different choruses of do not awaken love until it delights. Right? Mm -hmm. And so we see that in uh, uh, 2 7, uh, 3 5, and 8 4. We also have this beautiful picture of, uh, of fidelity as well, in that uh, I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is, or my beloved is mine. Uh, and you know, we've got this kind of in, in 2 16, 7 10, and, uh, and 6 uh, verse, uh, verse 3. Mm hmm. But ultimately, these point towards this greater picture. And everybody kind of agrees that this is kind of like the, the main point of the song. Mm -hmm. uh, 8, 6, and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can love, or sorry, neither can floods drown it. Mm -hmm. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house... He would utterly or be utterly despised. And so there's this picture of the gravity of love here. That it's something that, you know, is, is really designed for a certain time in a certain place. And it's ultimately according to, to God's order. Right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're flippant with that, then all of a sudden uh, we, we lead ourselves into some significant trouble. Yeah. And so all the way through, there's these different images of you know, making sure that you wait for the appropriate time for love. Mm -hmm. We've got, you know, does and, and, uh, and stags and, you know, you know, she, she sends him away because it's not time for love, right? It's the springtime, not the fall. You know, we've got this, this picture of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, <clears throat> beloved, the male figure, you know, calling to the, the woman and calling her to come and, and join him and it's time for love, but it's not time for love. Mm -hmm. But then quite clearly in the middle of the book, right around chapter five, we see that all of a sudden there is this shift where she invites him to come into her garden, right? And, uh, you know, he's, he's previously said that she's a locked garden, but now all of a sudden it's his garden, mm -hmm. right? And so there is this picture of now time for mm -hmm. love has come, right? And it's set within 
this assumption of a biblical picture of marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Even though marriage is maybe not the main focus of the whole thing, it, it's quite clearly there. This yeah. this ancient Israelite picture of Genesis chapter two verse twenty four, mm-hmm. of uh, you know a husband leaving his family and cleaving to his wife, right? And, and so you've got this this picture of both an anticipation of and a realization of the fruits of marriage. Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, it's not all of what marriage really is. There's no mm-hmm. roles. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, old age. There's no children involved mm-hmm. here. You know, it, it's really the, the focus of, of what love is in mm-hmm. the midst of that. And so in terms of, you know, does the song demand a higher meaning? Mm-hmm. How can we relate that to, uh, you know, what's going on with God's people mm-hmm. throughout the Old Testament? How can we relate that to us? Right? Mm-hmm. So in terms of the Old Testament, we see, again, marriage is this beautiful picture of this covenantal relationship. And Israel kind of gets presumptuous. She, you know, goes outside of what that design for, mm-hmm. for marriage is. And so there is this, this warning that, you know, the woman is making to the daughters of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. do not awaken love until mm-hmm. it delights. Mm-hmm. Israel has awoken love with all of these mm-hmm. false gods and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and actually not been, you know, faithful to the covenant that the Lord has made with her. Mm-hmm. Or that the Lord is, yeah. Yeah, yes. that the Lord has made with her. And so, you know, we see that, you know, they ultimately reap the benefits of, uh, of the covenant, but ultimately fail to get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? How does this relate to us? I, I think Ephesians chapter 5 really helps us out, where Paul is relating this picture of, a husband and wife, and their relationship to Christ and the church, mm-hmm. right? I think we have the, the same kind of picture here, and that Ephesians 5 helps us out, that we have a picture of a husband and wife, but also there is this picture of Christ and the church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so so we have this, this beautiful picture of, you know, marriage is this thing in which you need to be exclusive. Mm-hmm. There is a time and a place for it, and within that it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. You need to be uh, faithful within that. Uh, otherwise, there's significant issues that come, mm-hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> love is as strong as death is, yeah. a, is a significant statement. You know, death is a pretty serious thing. Mm-hmm. But so is, you know, going mm-hmm. outside of God's intent mm-hmm. for marriage. Uh, intent for sex yeah. in mm-hmm. general. So That's an interesting contrast is coming out of like Hosea class. In Ephesians class and seeing just kind of, this is the opposite Mm -hmm. of the message that comes out of a lot of minor prophets in general, really. Right. And just how serious their rebellion was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the picture of marriage, I think, like, it's, it's very intentional in that there's nothing, like, it's a vivid picture that everybody understands the gravity of mm-hmm. everybody understands the gravity of cheating right. everybody understands the gravity of having and like having a committed relationship like we can all think of someone who had a committed relationship and we were all just like wow that's an amazing amazing thing right. and so when you're thinking of that picture it's a very vivid image of yeah. our relationship with christ mm-hmm. and israel's relationship with the, yeah. god in general, and just that's that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. Yeah. Well, and and we see you know God using negative pictures, mm-hmm. right? Not only in Hosea, but we also see it with 
uh, with uh, judges as well. Mm -hmm. It's just like very clearly a negative picture. But here we've got a positive picture mm -hmm. pointing out just how negative this is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and we have all of these different uh, garden images as well, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's just like quite clearly, you know, I, I would argue though it's difficult to nail down, but it's mm -hmm. quite clear he's pointing, the author's pointing back to the Garden of Eden, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But it's not the garden because there's death. Yeah. You know, the woman is beaten. You know, you've got all these different images where it's quite clearly this is not the garden but this beautiful picture of love is a taste of the garden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's anticipating mm -hmm. the garden to come yeah. as well. Revelation, right? Where we see that, you know, the old has passed away and the new has come. Mm -hmm. And we are restored into that uh, beautiful picture of a new garden with our Lord, with our Savior. So mm -hmm. it's it's this anticipation for us too. So many layers yeah. to the song. Like, well, as I said, we like... could go on for hours with this. How much of that is like... Maybe a Hebrew way of thinking, because like we think so so Greek, of, like right. everything in this little box. But like they're they're so nuanced. Right. Like tend to be like, well, I expect you to connect it to this thing. Yeah. No, I might not directly say it, but you should know enough of your history to connect it, those things. Very much Hebrew okay. way of thinking. Yeah. Like um, the the Greeks aren't really that much on the scene at, at this point in time, and so like in terms of even influence, mm -hmm. you know. If we're going to say it was written 10th century, even if we're going to say later, like 6th century or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, the Greeks are, are kind of just emerging on the scene, but it's still Persia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you really don't have that Western influence to, no. to say that, you know, we should understand it with a Greek mind thought. <laughs> yeah. Mind, yeah. Then Greek wouldn't some mind. of the interpretations that you've talked about kind of be with that mindset of like Greek mindset or not, not really at all? Well, de definitely origin yeah. would, mm -hmm. would point like... I would argue he's very Platonistic, which is, let me define that for everybody else. So there, there is this, um, there is this picture here uh, of dualism. Mm -hmm. You know, that was something that that was favored by by Plato. Mm -hmm. And so the evil and the good aspects mm -hmm. of mankind. Um, you know, there's there's different things in in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, how Origen and and these other early ones especially interpreted that's just like so Greek, yeah, in so many ways. So, yeah. Um. So bringing it forward a little bit more to present day, because we talked about how, like, people in the past have interpreted it, and how people in the past have kind of used this song to explain who knows what and, um, what are like key cultural and societal things now that in in influence how we interpret this? Yeah. Because, like we said, like, we've never touched this yeah, right. before coming here. Like, I've hardly read it. Yeah. yeah I, like... It's something that we're told, especially as girls, for some reason, like, no, you don't need to, you don't need to touch that. Mm -hmm. You don't need to think about that. Disgust is it's, even, like, soft yeah. porn, even. Yeah. Which yeah. I hate that so it's, much. It's just not something that's taken seriously. So how, why, why is that? Like, why mm -hmm. is it seen so different in our society? Well, uh, I would argue our, our society is obsessed with sex, mm -hmm. plain and simple. You, you watch TV for four and a half seconds and you can figure that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we, we, have, uh, we have assumptions that something is always related to, uh, you know, something of sex. And I, I think, you know, get into a little bit of psychology, Freud has very much mm -hmm. influenced us in that. But also our, our culture moving towards very much a, a secular ideal uh, is moving 
moving us towards that as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is always on the forefront of our focus. And so there's, there's definitely uh, an assumption then when you come to the song that, you know, all of a sudden when it's talking about, uh, well, let's read a passage Mm -hmm. here just for fun. Um, why don't we read, uh, and we're going to get a little PG 13 here. Uh, just in terms, in terms of, uh, interpretation here. Uh, so chapter five, uh, verse Mm -hmm. two, let's, let's read there here. Uh, I, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one for my head is wet with dew, uh, my locks with the drops of the night. Um, I had put off my garment. Uh, how could I put it on? Uh, I have bathed my feet and, uh, could, uh, how could I soil them? My beloved, uh, put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. Uh, I arose to open my, to my beloved, uh, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved has, uh, had turned and gone. Uh, <clears throat> my soul failed within me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him and he gave no answer. The watchman found me and, uh, as they went about the city, they beat me, they bruised me and took away my veil. Uh, those who, um, Oh, sorry, those watchmen uh, of the walls, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, uh, that you tell him I am sick with love. So you've got this this picture of, you know, the, the beloved knocking on the door, right? It, mm-hmm. It's obviously the middle of the night. She's not awake. Um, and, and she's already gotten ready mm-hmm. for bed, mm-hmm. right? And, and so <clears throat> some interpret this with all sorts of different double entendres, okay? Mm-hmm. So a, a double entendre is like, you know, where you're you're taking words and then all of a sudden, uh, even though they might not mean that mm-hmm. I- in the in the original idea, they, they tur- turn it into something perverted. So mm-hmm. basically you imagine th- anything in the guy's locker room or gal's locker mm-hmm. room that all of a sudden goes there, it's just like, oh, mm, okay, that was not what I meant, but mm-hmm. thank you for taking that the most perverted way possible. So here you've <laughs> I got went to public school. I know yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so here you've got the same kind of thing where it's just like there there may be some double entendres mm-hmm. for sure, hmm. uh, but you know they there's some interpreters that take it to the nth degree. So like you know any mention of fluid is somehow mm-hmm. you know different things that uh, leak out of different parts yeah. of the body uh related to sex. Mm-hmm. Uh you've got uh also you know this this picture of uh you know these two engaging in sexual intercourse in some commentaries. Mm-hmm. But I think quite clearly uh <clears throat> it says verse 6 I opened to my beloved but my beloved had turned and gone. Mm-hmm. You know the point is that there is an actual door in between yeah. them. And he has not been able to get to her, right? So we're moving beyond what the the mm-hmm. idea of the text is actually mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. to interpret it a little bit pervertedly, right? And there's other guys, and uh, I wrote about Roland Boer uh, and his like over the top pornographic mm-hmm. viewpoint on the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I highly recommend you don't read that. Uh, <laughs> Got it. But 
it, it is available if you mm-hmm. really desire to do so, but please make sure that you do it uh, with a very significant grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a significant amount of accountability. Yes, yeah. that too. Mm-hmm. So so here's the issue. We've, we've, you know, got a culture that perverts everything. But, you know, really when we, when we come to, to the matter, you know, we see that God is a God who has created, you know, mm-hmm. the human body. He has, you know, commanded that, you know, these, that, uh, you know, men, men and women are, are able to, uh, you know, not only get married, but enjoy the fruits of marriage. And, you know, the song quite clearly brings that out. And so I would argue our culture has completely and utterly hijacked that. Mm-hmm. And the church has not really fought back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we as the church should, you know, very much be ones that, you know, are, are encouraging people mm-hmm. to really enjoy the fruits of marriage, but mm-hmm. within marriage. Yeah. Right? That's, that's the key thing here is, you know, we, we've got all these influences on our kids uh, well, my kids, not your kids, <laughs> hypothetical kids <laughs> Somewhere in the uh, that, uh, <clears throat> that, you know, are, are influencing towards, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different things that are very clearly a scheme of the devil seeking yeah. to devour, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a measure in which the church really has lost their, their focus on what, you know, they should mm-hmm. be doing in terms of that. Mm-hmm. I, I think the song also speaks to gender mm-hmm. quite clearly as well. And you know, we've got a binary uh, picture of gender here, male and female, mm-hmm. uh, not the 140,000 different interpretations mm-hmm. of what gender could be that is aside mm-hmm. from your biological plumbing. Uh, mm-hmm. The song very clearly you know, points out to us that, no, this, this is what it is. This is the way God designed it. And so, um, you know, those, those two things, I would argue are major things in our culture today, but they're also answered by the song. We don't read it. Yeah. So. Mm. I almost wonder if, like, I don't know, like, we were not really taught anything. I wasn't really taught much about sex once I got older and marriage and things like that. And I wonder if, like, the church's lack of willingness to talk about it leads to a lot of problems because the people who are educating us just, like, are people with a very secular view of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a youth leader for, I don't know, four years, it's hard to think that, like, just these are topics that we can't talk about. Mm. And so we can't use scripture to give a biblical version Mm. of what this is supposed to be because we see it as taboo. Or you only talk about it as a way of, like, putting out fires. So it's like Mm -hmm. they were shown something. I don't know. You go to school... leave your house and you're going to see mm-hmm. things that are sexually perverted and then it's like oh well they have questions now so now I'll give them the biblical mm-hmm. view after they've already been exposed to something right. that was not right. meant for them yeah yeah, yeah like, I think a, a key thing that we need to do is, is we, rec- we need to recognize there's some churches that do a good job of this mm-hmm. right like don't don't sell all yeah. churches yeah. short let's not paint yeah. them with a the big mm-hmm. brush of we're all bad. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and we do all, all this poorly. But we, we do see that this is a lacking mm-hmm. in every church. And especially when our culture is so obsessed with it. We need to, to be more proactive with yeah. our answer, I would argue. I, Absolutely. I, so, just kind of getting a little more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, what's like 
something you took away from your studies of this book. Mm. Like, how has this shifted your view of God, your view of scripture, your view of the church, your view of relationships? Like, how has this impacted you? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. (laughs) That's a big question. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think, I think, well... In terms of me personally, like I'm a teacher here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my natural bent is is towards, you know, learning things mm-hmm. and reading things well, and, and so. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, I think in terms of professionally, mm-hmm. the biggest thing I learned was let's make sure we go back to Scripture and look mm-hmm. at what Scripture is actually saying rather than just trusting a commentary. Mm. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I've written a commentary-esque, you know, type thing here, but don't trust that about Scripture. Mm -hmm, You go mm -hmm. and look at the song first, and then you go read something else and you come back to the song. Like, that that whole, you know, Berean uh, emphasis Mm -hmm. that Paul has, you know, go to the Scriptures, go to the Scriptures, go to the Scriptures. That's that's key. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in terms of, you know, uh, more personal and especially, you know, relationship with my wife, I think the song has really challenged me to continue to stay focused on, you know, the the exclusivity and the fidelity and just the wondrousness of, of what marriage is. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, here is this one flesh relationship that I get to experience with my wife. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just a, uh, you know, we're, we're two ships passing and, you know, we have our mm-hmm. own, you know, completely separate lives or anything like that. But rather, there is this beautiful picture of enjoyment of one mm-hmm. another. And so, you know, I, I think that the song has really caused me to appreciate my wife more, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think also in terms of uh, you with my girls, uh, it's, it's caused me to ask the question of how can I teach them what God intends for them in terms of, um, you know, a marriage relationship, in terms of a dating relationship. Mm. They're 11 and 9, for goodness sake. That's not going to be too far off. You know, uh, you know what, what is God's intent for this? And so I think with the song, it's, it's given me some tools and, and also, uh, you know, maybe some, some conversations I want to have yeah. with them in light of what does the song teach us? Mm-hmm. And so, um, in terms of my relationship with the Lord, uh, I, I love the poetry here mm-hmm. and that there's so much in terms of ambiguity that it's like, uh, you know, he, he gives us this beautiful picture of this human relationship in this poem, but it's high poetry. Mm-hmm. And so we've got all of these different things that, you know, it could mean, but in terms of us, you know, deciphering and, and, uh, you know, cataloging every single word, you know, we miss the, the, the picture. I, mm-hmm. I would argue that the poetry and the ambiguity is painting for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably some of the younger viewers might've seen, uh, or listeners, I guess, might've seen Kronk's new groove. <laughs> Have you seen that? Okay. So it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when, when we have, uh, Kronk describing uh, the the lady figure that he's interested in. And, uh, you know, he meets her for the first time. And, you know, he describes her with all of these different things. And it's just like, 
you know, okay, I don't get what you mean, but I get exactly what mm-hmm. you mean, right? <laughs> you know, uh, she, she's got knees like brass doorknobs. She's got elbows so rough that they could take the, they're like sandpaper that could take the, the grain off a two by four. And her eyes were like a triple locked reinforced, steel reinforced safe that I just had to crack. You know, it's just like, I don't get what you're saying there, Kronk, but I get exactly what yeah. you're saying at the same time, right? And it's just like, you know, uh, there, there's so much in terms of the high poetry here mm-hmm. that God is communicating to us. That it's just like, oh, this just gives me a new love for his word mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. way that, you know, you don't you don't get from the narratives yeah. and stuff like that. Like you, no. you get different things, mm-hmm. but you, you really get it from the song in terms mm-hmm. of this high poetry mm-hmm. ambiguity beautiful thing so yeah Pam the poet just got all warm and fuzzy inside <laughs> I did I love poetry so much it just makes me so happy um, um like the visualness of it is yeah. what amuses me as yeah. well as like that's where mm-hmm. I really connect more with this song yeah. like I, I get the same yeah. sense of it but I'm not much of a poet but I understand visual yeah. imagery mm-hmm. I mean I've seen you've seen the pictures of like drawing the song song woman which is hilarious yeah. like taking it very literally it's like she's got yeah. this tall tower of a neck and like oh, it's, it's just hilarious, hilarious. Well, <laughs> and, and like the, the poetry is so cool in that you know it it, it it's multifaceted mm-hmm. right because it, it like we're we've got an audience here the mm-hmm. the others the the ladies that mm-hmm. are the daughters of the Jerus- of jerusalem that are observing this mm-hmm. and it's like you know everything is you know, available for them to see, but it's veiled mm-hmm. behind the poetry, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, we get this picture of the that between the lover and the beloved, the all the intricate details of their mm-hmm. relationship are kept for them, but everybody else is able to see the 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 beauty of it mm-hmm. through the poetry. You know, and 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 so like we we've got these different things where it's just like you know, we we understand. But we don't get all the juicy yeah. details, you know? And it's like, oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this just excites me so much. <laughs> I think, I, I think uh, I've reached a place where I can read Song of Solomon. Yep. <laughs> think it think it happened. Well, it's such proof of, like, you've read this book how many times? Mm. Like, and you still love it. And it yeah. makes you love it more. And there's still, it's like, well, I could read it again and see new things about it. Like, yeah, that's definitely something I've been challenging myself with, like, I've been trying to make a practice of going through one book for a year, like just right. keep going through it over and over and read it a dozen, a dozen times kind of thing. Just, it proves to myself and those who hear me rant about it, that it's like the more Mostly you read me. it, yeah, the more you read it, the more you love it. Like yeah. it's such a living and active word of God that yeah. you can yeah. never come to the end of. Right. Just, that's a bottomless pit. Yeah. It's a black hole. Well, (laughs) it's more thinking like the opposite. Continue ascending into to the stars, kind of thing. Well, to the stars, that's black hole right there. Oh, Oh, you tried. I tried so hard. I think even just listening to you talk, I'm I'm excited about the gospel all that much more. Mm. Like, because yeah, there's that interpretation of God and His love for His people, Israel, but that extends to the church right and the truth of the gospel in that like i'm someone who's very literal grammatical historical in my hermeneutics <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. which kind of is very counterintuitive of my poet self yes. um but it's just so like funny i know it is you try and reconcile it with yourself it's it just, doesn't work it's very amusing <laughs> but like just listening to you talk oh. about it i'm just so excited about his love for 
us through the gospel and mm. just the extent to which that love carried yeah. um, to him dying on the cross for us. Like, I'm just, I'm sitting there just kind of humbled listening mm. to the gravity of his love, the picture of the bride's love for the groom and his love mm-hmm. for her back mm-hmm. and just humbled by the implications of that and what that mm. means for the church. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. I I love that, like, there's the threads throughout scripture, and, it, like, you got to take each book for what it's saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're saying, like, you, can, you don't want to take them out of their original context or anything, but you can definitely see that, like, Bible's all one story, and it's yeah. just another way yeah. of telling that same story of yeah. mm-hmm. God and his love for us, which, like, at the very minimal, like, yeah. that's mm-hmm. the thread you can find mm-hmm. throughout every single book yeah. is God's faithfulness. Well, the, the, the key is, I, I think... You know, Jesus himself said on the road to Emmaus that everything is mm-hmm. talking about him, mm-hmm. right? So it's got to be about him yeah. in mm-hmm. some way. But take the literal first, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Then let's move to the higher meaning oh, yeah. and, and make sure that it's it's <laughs> yeah. accurate oh, with the little. Mm-hmm. We talked about that so much this week with going through Hosea class and her and I having very different, like, hermeneutical approaches in some ways. It was just like, eventually that is basically yeah. where we mm-hmm. landed. It's like... Yeah. Scripture yeah. fantasy. Oh man, what a beautiful oh. allegory! It's not an allegory, but though. it's not an allegory. <laughs> <laughs> it's life. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Travis, yeah. and oh, really? participating in our mild chaos. We, we kept really, it under an hour. <laughs> I feel like we kept our chaos mildly civilized. I too. Mostly, I kept my mouth shut. Yeah, that's the key <laughs> thing here. <laughs> Sorry. Well, thank you so much for oh, joining man. us. Oh, thanks so for good. having me. This it's, was fun. It's been a pleasure. And the coffee uh, was delicious. Yeah, the coffee yeah. was good. Go yeah. buy some, y'all. I'm yeah. telling you. Go I love coffee roasters. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here you go. All right. And thank you for listening. Be blessed in the most chaotic way possible. And enjoy your coffee. <laughs>